to start our new series in uh, Abraham, looking at this, uh, this founder of our faith in, in one sense, or at least father of our faith, it, it said. Um, and yet, as we'll see, he wasn't always this awesome person of faith. He made some mistakes, which gives encouragement to folks like me that make a lot of mistakes, that I can still grow in my faith in the midst of that. I was trying to find just the right video clip to, to really kick off this new series well. And I think I found it. And, and I want you to see, uh, listen for, it's the beginning of a movie. You may recognize the movie. It's the beginning of a movie. And I want you to pay attention to the first words that are spoken, the first dialogue that is given. Let's see if you uh, like this video clip here. Without the Jedi, there can be no balance in the Force. We can company. Does it get better than that? Do, do I even need to preach after that? I mean, that it says so much. Did you catch the first line? A little hard to hear. He says this, opening line. This will begin to make things right. That's a great way to start a movie, isn't it? This, this will begin to make things right. Uh, many Star Wars enthusiasts not only saw that line as an introduction to the, the plot line of The Force Awakens, but also saw it as somewhat of a promise to right what was wrong in the Star Wars universe. All right, amen. Did I get an amen to that one? So for those of you that are not Star Wars enthusiasts, the, the original, the, the episodes four, five, and six, they were so creative and fresh, and there was a, a brilliance to them that people were celebrating. And then came the prequels. It, then came the episodes one, two, and three, came strained pop plot lines and just... Well, frankly, bad acting. And, of course, Jar Jar Binks, right? So, yowzers, huh? And so this, this line that is given is some way, J.J. Abrams is saying, this will begin to write what is wrong in the Star Wars universe. Genesis 12 is our text this morning. And in many ways, Genesis 12 is God's way of saying, this 
will make things right. This is the beginning. This is, see, what's happening in Genesis 12 is, is we do kind of come in the, in the middle of the, the story within Genesis that is unfolding. And see, Genesis 1 and 2, there was this beauty, creativity, this brilliance of God. He formed the world, formed you and I in life as it was meant to be lived. And then came Genesis 3. What happened? The fall. No, Jar Jar Binks was not responsible for the fall. Adam and Eve was. Introduced all the pain and suffering in the world. And then comes Cain. And he introduces jealousy, hatred, and murder. And even in Genesis 6, we hear the Lord lament, perhaps one of the saddest scriptures in all Old and New Testament. He regrets creating humankind because wickedness had grown so much exponentially. That's what brought on the flood and Noah, kind of a, a restart, a renewal, but then even after Noah, wickedness creeps its way in. And we find ourselves at the Tower of Babel, the, the climax of, of human pride, of wanting to do it our way. And life in that moment is life by human beings that is separated from their creator. They're not walking in union and intimacy with God. They're not walking in the purposes in which they were created for. They're not walking in the meaning of God's work. He said, I've called you to, to be stewards of all I, I've created. And, and they're walking separated from this. And it was at that moment, so subtly, that God speaks. He speaks into the world. And it's so subtle in the text. And he speaks this word, he says to Abram. He chooses this. We know really nothing about Abram before this moment, he was this, in uh, some ways, probably ordinary, probably a wanderer. Um, he was uh, some, somewhat nomadic, had wealth, but there, and he's, he's older, and yet into this life, into this potentially very ordinary person, God says, go. Leave, leave this life, leave Leave where you've been. I have something more for you and for your people and for this world. He speaks life. He speaks a new beginning. He speaks again this recapturing of what he created. And in many ways, you can almost hear it this will begin to make things right. So would you turn with me to Genesis chapter 12? 
But before we do, I'd like to pray for just a moment, just to get our hearts right. Lord, in these few moments that we have together, Lord, I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your renewal. Lord, thank you that you've been already at work in beautiful ways. Would you now open us up all that you have for us, personally and corporately, Lord God? Would you help us not be distracted? Would you help us to to pay attention to your voice? Lord, would you help me not to be a distraction? Help me to get out of the way of what you want to say and do this morning. Amen. So again, we know very little about Abram, almost nothing. And yet in chapter 12, he's entering in. Would you think for a moment, is there an area of your life, we've already began this morning, that you need a new beginning? That you need, in some ways, God to to set your heart right? to set your life right. You see, friends, I think that for many of us, we're living somewhere in Genesis 3 to 11. That in different ways, whether it's our jobs, our families, our lives, we're stuck somewhere in Genesis 3 to 11. And we're in desperate need of God to speak a new word, a a fresh word, a restorative word. Would you, as we read the story and, and unpack these verses, would you think about, where do I need this renewal and this blessing? Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 reads, The Lord had said to Abram, Go. Go from your country, your people, And your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At the time the Canaanites were in the land, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I give you this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went toward the hill east of Bethel, And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, or Ai. You didn't know that they had artificial intelligence at that time. (laughs) 
Sorry, I try and keep those random thoughts to myself, but that one slipped out. (laughs) There he built an altar to the Lord, and he called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Now, the first thing that strikes me about this story is not necessarily Abram. The first thing that strikes me is what do these verses say about God himself? What's the the portrait, the picture it paints of God? I want to encourage you, if you've brought your own Bibles, if you haven't, I would encourage you to to bring them because I like to highlight and underline and circle key words. And I think there's key words in a subtle way that really teach us about who God is is from this story and also about the response of faith that God is inviting us to through the life of Abram. First about God, who God is, his ways. Look at verse one again. It says, he simply says, go. If you have your own Bibles, I'd I'd circle or highlight or underline go, verse one. And then in verse seven, a similar word or idea, it says, did you catch this? The Lord appeared. Abram. God speaks to Abram and says go and then a little bit later as Abram is obedient he appears in verse 7. What do you think those two words say about God? What's the, the portrait? I would say this for one God is a God who initiates and God is a God who invites A beautiful piece of what folks call Reformed theology. That's our denomination. Reformed theology. One of the beautiful pieces is that Reformed theology focuses on the sovereignty of God. The providential work of God. That God is at work in this world, whether we recognize it or not. That if you are a Christian... The story of restoration, your story of conversion did not begin with you. Did you realize that? It began with God. It began with his spirit. He he was at work. In fact, scripture teaches that you and I are so broken that we are so distant from God that we can't turn to him. It can't be us. We're so immobilized and stuck in our own sin, our own rebellion, our own selfishness. It can't be us. And God knows that. And so God does things like speak and disturb and initiate and draw He is a God that from from the time of, of Adam and Noah and Abram to our time right now, he is a God that is working, that is speaking, that is inviting, that is stirring within us. Here's the problem. For many of us, we are missing his promptings. We're missing his stirring. Wait, wait, well, that was, I don't know what that was, but I, I'll just move, move on. I'll just uh, 
Maybe that was indigestion. I don't know what that was. That was uh, the burrito that I had. We're we're paying that God is a God who's speaking, who's initiating, who's inviting us into a different kind of relationship that will lead to a different kind of life. And it's going over our heads. Boy, I have this deep longing inside of me. I guess I'll watch another football game. Hmm? I wish there was more to life than just stuff. Honey, it's time for a new car. You understand? Boy, there's something, I just wish life was more meaningful and more valiant. Vacation that we can't afford, right? There's these longings, there's these inklings, these stirrings within our soul. And yet we're missing God's initiative, God's work and invitation. Part of what we see in Abram is Abram does not miss it. He hears it. He recognizes it. And he obeys God's voice. Is the Lord inviting you to something in this new year? Is there a moment right now that there's a prompting going on and and you're, I didn't, I wonder what, is that how God works? Some of you are laughing because he is. He's working in that. Part of the story of Abram is you pay attention to that. You seek God. Well, I'm just this peon that God doesn't. No, he knows you. He loves you. He's at work and he's inviting you. Don't miss his voice this morning. What's he inviting you to? What are the ways that he's prompting you? Now, before we go to Abram's response, which is really important, I want you to see something that's absolutely crucial, an important aspect of who God is and the character of God that the story also represents. It's a word, I'm, I'm not sure if the word is actually in the story, but see if you can find it. Is the word bless or blessed or blessing anywhere? Am I wrong? Did I miss it? Am I reading into the story? Is it there? How, how many times? Is it there twice? That would be cool if it was there twice. Oh, it's more than twice? How many? Three times. How many more? Oh, you didn't. You better bring your own Bibles because I'm going to be asking these questions. How many more times? How many times back there? Five times? Is that right? In just a, a few of these verses, this idea of blessed or blessing comes, rolls out of God's heart and mouth for Abram. What does that say about God? I would circle all five of those times. I'd highlight that blessed and blessing because that says a lot. It's like God can barely get blessed. He can barely talk to a blessing without blessing. I, Abraham, I'm so blessing, blessing. I want to bless you. It's just rolling out of his heart. He's so excited to begin again in the life of Abram. He's so excited. Abram, I have these incredible blessing, blessing, plans of blessing you. 
If you'd simply trust, respond, and obey, blessing is going to flow in every part of your life, and it's going to hit every aspect of this world. I believe that many of us are still wrestling with a broken view of who God is. Maybe it's carried over from our childhood. Maybe it's from our relationship with our parents. A lot of times, relationship with dads can, can be a negative effect. A lot of times, we, from life circumstance, that, that, that lens of who we believe God is affects how we read scripture and how we hear that. I think for many of us, sometimes at, at best, we see God as a grandfather that's we only visit every once in a while. and He's distant and removed from our lives primarily and somewhat judgmental. Yeah? Sometimes at worst, God's not a grandfather. He's like a kid with a magnifying glass. And we're the ants and he gets delight out of burning us. Those are broken views of God. Those aren't correct. Those are from the enemy. Those we need to allow. Verses like this to challenge how we see our heavenly father. And the testimony of scripture is at the heart of who God is and what he wants to do in our lives is blessing. You know, he was that way from the beginning. He created Adam and Eve. And you know the first thing that he does to Adam and Eve? I'll give you three guesses. You only need one. What's he do? He blessed. Look at the, the, the verse there in, in Genesis. God blessed them and said to them. That, that's, he, he forms them. He places them in the garden. And it says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over, steward the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over every living creature that moves on the ground. There was this intimacy with God. There was this sacred connection with one another. There was this stewardship and leadership and authority that he was giving to his people. A picture of abundant life. That's what had been lost. And now he's beginning to restore through Abram. That's what many of you and I, we've lost that sense of abundant life. And God is saying this, we're going to begin to make things right. The source is blessing. Will you obey? How will you respond? Now let's look at Abram's response together. Abram, he does not miss. I, before I get into the response, I want to share just a, a story from this past week. I was with a, I was with a, uh, a group of reform pastors up in Denver. There's about 20 of us. And um, this one pastor, his name is Pastor Kevin, and he was inviting us uh, to something, uh, to, uh, to live a particular life and church. It was a beautiful invitation. He's, I've known Pastor Kevin for a number of years. Respect him dramatically. 
He leads uh, one of the biggest churches in our denomination. It's a flagship church. He's also suffered more than just about any other pastor I know. They, they lost a, a son who was in his 20s about 18 months ago. So a lot of the denomination and leaders have been praying for him and caring for him. And he shares this, uh, this invitation to us pastors, and this is how he begins the invitation. I am not exaggerating in any way. He says... I have a sin pattern that I've wrestled with my entire life. I fear man more than I fear God. That's how he began. He talked about his church on this journey. They've been on for over a decade. And he said, you know, I have consultants come in every once in a while and Here's what they say about our church regularly. Uh, each consultant says about the same thing. We're not really good at anything. <laughs> Messages, and music, ministry. But, but we're real. We're authentic. And I was like, Kevin, you should have a conference of how to not be really good at anything. That would be so refreshing. I didn't say that. That was one of those random thoughts I kept into me. That was a successful in that time. He said, I'm broken. I'm trying not to get choked up. I can't imagine losing a kid. So they're, they're, he's like, I'm not back. I don't know if I ever will be. God's working. He's restoring. He said, but I want to invite you into this beautiful thing. And then he talks about his life and he holds up, I don't think he planned this, it was just, you know, one of those banquet cups. You know, he holds up, it was a, a see-through, so it was about water, half full. And he holds up this glass and he says, you know, I, I feel like I'm, I'm this glass in some ways. That I've been praying for things from God that he has not granted yet. And I don't think I'm ready. I think that God wants to expand me as a glass because he's wanting to fill up. And I got in my mind this image, rather than God holding a magnifying glass and burning us little ants, it's God holding a picture of blessing and depending on where we're at in our soul and how big that glass is, he wants to pour and expand and fill and overflow. Do you see what Kevin just did there? What he did is I believe he responded in an Abram kind of way. He didn't look at any hardship or difficulty in his life as God's, oh, that mu God must be this mean kid who wants to burn us with a magnifier. No, no, no. He trusts God's heart is good. He trusts that God is at work for blessing and restoration. 
and he understood the pain and suffering as God in this beautiful way is taking the hardship of the enemy and this broken world and he's using it for good, expanding his soul. And he's pouring, wanting to pour. He's poured blessing in Kevin's life and wanting to pour more. And I thought, that's Abram right there. That's, that's trusting in God's heart. That's not just believing in God. Most of us believe in God. Most of people in the United States believe in God, that there is a God. But Abram believed God's heart was good. He believed what God said to him about blessing and renewal. And he obeyed. That's the first First word that I think would be worthy to underline or highlight in your Bibles, that, that word is went. Verse four, it's a simple word, just he went. It's so simple. It implies there, there was no wrestling, there was no struggle. It just it, it, it implies a simple faith. Abram believed he just believed. He said, okay. Now think of how challenging. I have to imagine that if I were in Abram's shoes, I would have dialogued and wrestled with God. I mean, did you catch how old Abram was? Did you? He was, what? How old was he? He was 75. Like this was not a young buck. I think I would have been, I would have been tempted to say, God, do you have someone else? I mean, I'm kind of winding things down, right? Wait, wait, any of that temptation there to say, God, I don't know if, I mean, really did you, maybe Lot, my nephew, he's a young, maybe talk to him about this. There was none of that in Abram. Also, think about the high cost that this would have happened. He was asking Abram. What was the first word that he said to Abram? Go. Leave, leave your family, your, your, your father's family. Leave your, your country. Leave what you know. Everything that gave Abram identity, a sense of who he is. Everything that gave Abram security, that, that sense of him being safe. All the foundations that he had built around himself, God finally enters in and says, leave. Like I would have been tempted, I think, of Abram to... Say, God, I, you know, it's not a great life, but it's pretty good. Can I just hang? Lot, again, looks really good. None of that. And then one other thing that I think would have been really tempting for Abram to argue about is this, that testimony that he would become a great nation Right, this, this promise. And I wonder if he was like, um, you know, Sarai and I, nothing. That was probably a part of their identity. 
Like, God, are you, are you sure? I, we're kind of past the age, God. I think this is why Abram really is the father of our faith. Because there's none of that. Scripture gives us none of that. It was just a simple, God said, go, and he, he went. I didn't know how this incredible covenant of blessing that would not only be his own life, but is looking to the entire world, of course, a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ himself, the, the, the covenant that through Abram, he would bless the world. What? And Abram, he just went. I wish I could get to that place of just going and trusting, believing God's heart. That he has this life of blessing and abundance for me. A few of the apostles weighed in in reflection of Abram's life. Look at some of those as we go in the series. The Apostle James said this, all scripture was fulfilled that says, Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And in part, there's an argument, you don't um, gain a, a standing before God because of all the good stuff you do. You stand before God in Jesus Christ because of faith. You, you, you trust. You believe. Life, living life in righteousness should flow from that place of faith and belief. And then he goes on to say something, and I want you to hold on to this. We'll talk about this. And he called, and he was called God's friend. What was, who was that? Who's called God's friend? Abram. Abram, okay. All right. Boy, it would be neat. Abram was so lucky he got to be called God's friend. The Apostle Paul says this, so those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. What does that mean? That means it's not just Abraham. That this pronouncement of blessing by God wasn't just about Abraham. It's about you and me. It's about how God wants to. We get to go alongside. We get to be blessed alongside. See, there's always a temptation as we read scripture. Oh, well, he was in scripture. He was the father of faith. That was Abram. That was awesome for him. I'm just trying to get by. No! God is saying this is the life, the life of blessing. This is what it means to be my adopted daughter, my adopted son, is you get to walk in the blessing of Abram. You get to walk in the blessing and inheritance of all that he represents. That we have a role to play in this experience of blessing. You get to walk in there. Now, second word. Verse 7, look at verse 7 again. Just a simple word, built. Abram built 
an altar. God appeared to him. Abram built an altar. And what's he do at the altar? Why do you build an altar? This is an easy one, friends. Why do you build an altar? You worship, right? Well, I thought it said that Abram was a friend of God. Which is it? Was, did he walk in the fear of God? And worship? Or was he a friend of God and real personal? Yes. Was that you, Ray? Free cup of coffee if that was you, Ray. Yeah, the answer is? Yes. Yes. Here's this dynamic. So I've been looking at the life of Abraham and, and really all the patriarchs. There is this beautiful, mysterious dynamic of them walking in a holy reverence and fear that God is God and we are not. And yet, such a close, personal friendship and relationship with God that that you could call it a sacred rhythm. I like that. A worship and reverence of our Heavenly Father. He is God and we are not. And yet also a beautiful, intimate, sacred friendship that we get to share life with him. We get to talk with him and wrestle with things. You know, that same dynamic was true of Jesus. That Jesus at one point, John 15, he says to his apostles, I call you friends because you know the family's business. You're not just servants. You're not just saying, how high when I say jump. No, 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 no. You know the business. We're we're working this together. We're friends. I'm empowering you. I'm giving you authority. You get to do the stuff. You're not in the sands going, woo-hoo, yay. You're on the field doing the stuff. And yet at the same time, we see this dynamic that they, at different points in Jesus' life where they stopped and they worshiped Jesus. Even at the very end, just he's resurrected just before he's about to ascend into heaven, give the great co-mission. When they saw him, Jesus, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Imagine that. There's, there's a little bit of doubt going on. There's worship And then he's about to say, all authority has been given to me, therefore. That sounds a little Abraham-ish, doesn't it? Right? This dynamic of worshiping of Christ, reverence of Christ, fear of God that we don't talk enough about in our culture. There's almost no fear and reverence, right? And yet still this beautiful dynamic of we get to walk in friendship with God. Friends, I I don't get it all together. I, I can't put all the pieces together of how those two things fit together. I know I'm trying every day. Every day I don't wanna miss a day that I'm not adoring God. 
That's the essence of worship, isn't it? Worship isn't service. You can glorify God in your service. Worship at its, at its heart is expressing worth towards another. I don't want a day to pass that I am not, whether in prayer, whether with my guitar, whether Sunday morning, in my heart, I'm expressing worth towards God. Adoration towards God. Amen. That's the, that's the heart of reverence, isn't, isn't it? And in the new covenant, that's great. I don't have to build an altar in my living room. But I think my wife would not be very happy if I did that. But where's the altar? It's right here, yeah, wherever we go. We get to do that worship, that, that dynamic. And yet, every day, in relationship, I'm trying to figure out what God is doing in my life and through my life. And I'm trying to partner with him. Whether it's my personal transformation, spiritual formation, how he's wanting to transform me from the inside out, whether it's with my family, praying for my kids and stirring that, whether it's for this church and what he's trying to say that I'm trying to hear and understand and partner with him and say, God, that doesn't make sense. Why? What's happening there, Father? Wait, I, I thought you said this, and now this is what? I get to do that, even in the midst of adoration and worship. At least that's the testimony of the patriarchs and the prophets all through. Okay, um, final word is verse 8. Look at verse 8. Abram called on the name of the Lord. Seek, he sought what God, that's really what we're talking about. He, he begins a new relationship where he doesn't seek to live life as he did for the previous right, 75 years. He's saying, no, I'm going to not live life on my terms. I'm going to live life on God's terms. He's the creator. He's the one who has knit together the, the picture of the abundant life he's calling me to. I'm going to call on the name of the Lord. Simply that Hebrew word call means to audibly cry out. It's all through scripture. In Joel 2, it says those who call He'll pour out the Holy Spirit. In, in uh, Romans 10, those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's a, there's a crying out. It's a, the picture of that, that young child on the playground that, that, that falls off the, the swing and says, Mom! And what does the mom do? Of course, she comes and runs and helps. And so Abram, that, that child learns that if if he or she calls out to mom or dad, they'll come. And so Abram begins to cry out and say, God, help. We're going to see him call out. And that means for you and I, we get to say, Jesus, help. Jesus, what, what's going on? How? Help, I don't know. You promised blessing. This doesn't feel like it. Jesus, help. We begin to, begin to live 
life. Not on our own terms, but on God's terms. And he says, when you call out, I will hear. I will answer. Beautiful through Zechariah. They will call on the name, my name, and I will answer them. That is a promise. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is our God. That's the essence of the covenant. To call on the name of the Lord, expressed through faith, the essence of the abundant life, the day in, day out rhythms. Can we call on the name of the Lord at the communion table? Can we approach, if the worship team want to come forward, if the the elders want to come forward? There's uh, stations for each section. We'll do it by intinction. It means you take the, the cracker and you dip it in the juice and you take it right there at the station. Would you close your eyes for a moment? In what way do you need to call out to God this morning? Is there any way that you've lacked faith? You have not trusted in God's heart. Do you need to call out to God and say, help Jesus. Increase my faith. Is there any way you've missed his promptings? You've you've disregarded his stirrings and his invitation to you? Do you need this morning at the communion table to say, help Jesus. Help me to hear your voice. Are there times that you have neglected to walk in worship and reverence of God. You've treated him in ways that's not worthy. Help Jesus. Help Jesus. In our hearts, we we cry out to you, help Jesus. It was the night that Jesus was betrayed that he took the bread. After he gave thanks, he blessed it, and then he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in a similar way, after dinner, he took the cup. He said, this is a new covenant 
a new relationship. We don't stop walking in reverence and worship of our God. But now everybody, not just Abraham, not just the saints, gets to walk in this new covenant, this new relationship of blessing through faith. He said, take it and remember the great sacrifice. It was Jesus' death and resurrection that removes all the barriers to the abundant life, all the barriers of our sin and rebellion, and it's what allows us to enter in to this new covenant and new life and relationship with Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've committed your life to him, then all is ready. Come.
Can we stand together? Lord, what a wondrous gospel. What an incredible message that you don't give up on us, you don't leave us in our sin, that you initiate, that you invite, that you draw. Father, thank you. Thank you for your work in our lives. Heart incredible that when we mess up, when we disobey, you forgive again and again and again. You renew again and again and again. Your heart is blessing and restoration again and again and again. We thank you, Lord, and we give you praise. Would you go recognizing his promptings, seeing his stirrings, and obeying his invitation. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Can we sing that chorus one more time? <laughs>